And we welcome you to the Wednesday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. I am really happy to be joined today on the morning show. Well, first of all, in the background, my two golden retrievers in uh, robust play and occasionally that background noise will probably intrude on the proceedings. But much more important, I'm really delighted to be welcoming uh, five different people who are very much involved in an exciting undertaking this weekend. Two performances of Gaetano Donizetti's wonderful comedy, La Fille du Regiment, The Daughter of the Regiment. And uh, two of our guests, uh, at least many of you will already know, uh, Tenor Nikoff, soprano Keely Futurer. And uh, they are overseeing something called the Kenosha Opera Festival. And uh, these two performances of the Daughter of the Regiment at the Rhodey Center for the Arts are the culminating events uh, after weeks of operatic fun. And um, we're also joined today on the morning show by three other people who are deeply involved in this production in which Nick and Keeley are singing. Uh, another castmate of theirs uh, and a friend of theirs, Alex Soare, is performing the role of Sulpice. And then uh, at the helm of this production, we have first of all, Greg Eldridge, who is the stage director, and then Ksenia Leliotkina, who is the conductor of these two performances. So first of all, welcome to all five of you to the morning show. Thanks for having us, Greg. Yeah, lovely to see you. Thank you. Let's, uh, before we get into this particular opera that's being done this coming weekend, Nick or Keeley, uh, give our listeners, particularly those who didn't hear our previous conversation from a week or two ago, uh, just give them a little sense of this thing called the Kenosha Opera Festival and what has been going on even ahead of this particular production. Sure. So, yeah, as you say, we've been on a couple times, so I'll do the short version. But uh, essentially, we uh, got started about a little more than a year ago, uh, right before the pandemic. So our timing was very poor. And so this we're calling our inaugural season, our first live season on stage. Uh, and we are very excited to be doing it. We have events. Uh, recitals, public appearances, many things. And, you know, they all went off uh, really fantastically. We just had our last recital last weekend and it was wonderful. We had a nice crowd turnout for that. Uh, so we're now pivoting full time to the opera, La Fille. And uh, we're rehearsing for that now. It's Wednesday, we have the dress rehearsal tonight. And um, we're very excited to uh, push ahead and uh, and get this thing on stage and share it with the public. It's a really, really charming show. So we've had a good season so far. We should perhaps say right off the bat that this is an opera that both you and Keely, who's also your fiance, have a real close connection with. Explain uh, to our listeners the background that you each have with this particular opera. I myself have been running around singing the aria from this opera for years now. Um, it's a it's a real showpiece for tenors. It's got a lot of high notes, uh, nine of them in particular. It's very famous for uh, the nine high C's that uh, are written into the aria. And so, you know, it's I've kind of been shopping around for a chance to sing it, actually. Uh, so it's sort of one of those things that just fit really easily for me. It's my kind of repertoire. And Keely, of course, I'll let you speak for yourself, but Keely has done this role before. Yes, the last time I did this was at uh, Opera Saratoga, actually with Alex as Mizu Peace. So it's really nice to be reunited, as it were. And um, <clears throat> I've always really loved La Fille. I grew up listening to the Joan Sutherland, of course, and Pavarotti recording. And as somebody who 
pretty much exclusively had a lot of male friends growing up and was always kind of one of the guys playing paintball. I really loved <laughs> Marie in La Fille because I feel very connected to the character and it's fun for a uh, soprano to get to play maybe a more body character that isn't inherently evil. So <laughs> I've just always, La Fille is just one of those that is charming and sweet and has a lot to offer to anybody who watches it. So Nick, explain who is involved in this production uh, aside from uh, you and Keely and Alex, who's also part of this uh, interview, as well as uh, Ksenia and, and, and stage director Greg Eldridge. Who are the other folks on hand making this happen? Sure, we have a whole, there's a whole slew of people. Uh, you know, this opera calls for chorus, and so there is a a reg two appearances of a regular mixed chorus and also a men's chorus, which is a relatively extensive uh, part. It's almost like a supporting character, the men's chorus. And they're very silly and wacky. Uh, and, you know, they're kind of a fumbling group of guys that are all sort of this cartoonish uh, set of, of men. And they go around and they, but they just love Marie. And it's, it's very, it's got a lot of heart. So they're up there. We're doing this with orchestra. There's an entire, uh, pit of people who have been hard at work uh, preparing this. Uh, there's also a, a supernumerary role, uh, a role, or no, not a super, I'm sorry. There's also a uh, spoken role, uh, and that is played by our uh, dear, uh, beloved Kathy Berg, who uh, has joined us uh, for this, and she's doing a very good job as the Duchess, the uh, mother of uh, a suitor for Marie, one of the central um, conflicts of the opera. Uh, so she's doing a great job uh, being very funny on stage. There's a whole lot of people that go into it. Uh, Kayla and Rick Bingen, who are uh, board member and company manager and run around constantly. All the people who, uh, the people from St. Matt's Episcopal and First United Methodist, we've got a whole uh, team that most people will never see, but have been doing a lot, a lot to make this happen and make it possible. Alex Soiree, you are performing the role of Sulpice and in a little bit, we'll explain kind of who these characters are and a little more about the story. But you actually came aboard rather late in the proceedings when uh, uh, somebody else uh, needed to, to step down. And uh, what has it been like for you to come aboard uh, a train that was already racing down the tracks? Well, at, at first, uh, it, it was a little scary because uh, I haven't done the piece in two years. And yeah, like Keely said, it was the last time we did it in, uh, in Saratoga. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, and it took a couple hours and stuff just started coming back memory wise. And uh, it was just, I don't know, it just took me back to the summer that we had two years ago. And we had a lot of fun doing doing La Fille and uh, things just uh, fit in naturally. And the whole the whole team was 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 great. And uh, they helped me a lot. And uh, it's kind of guided me, you know, those first few days of rehearsals. And now I, I think uh, we're we have a, a very solid and fun show uh, uh, this weekend. So ready, just very happy to be out there again, of course, after this past uh, year and a half or so. Very good. Stage director Greg Eldridge, one thing that our listeners would find interesting is uh, the means by which the first staging rehearsals had to occur under very sort of unexpected kind of jarring circumstances. Explain uh, the complicated nature of the first staging rehearsals. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, and good morning, everyone. Um, so uh, I, um, as my accent betrays, I'm, I'm not a native to these shores. Uh, and I was working on a production 
in the United Kingdom, uh, a little barber of Seville out there. And the turnaround time in order to gain travel authorization to come back for this production uh, turned out to be a little tighter than anyone had anticipated. And so uh, with only uh, sort of a week of rehearsal time available to us, uh, Nick and Keeley took the, the decision to sort of uh, phone me in. And so we had uh, internet connections and I was sitting in my little flat in the UK uh, and able to watch what was going on in the rehearsal room, able to work with um, Danny, my assistant director, to position people, uh, occasionally moving the camera around so that I could see the full width of the space. And it was remarkably easy for a process that had so much potential to be difficult, I think, which is in no small part due to the excellent work of the cast here and the very collegiate nature uh, of our brilliant conductor. It makes it so much easier when everyone's pulling in the same direction. And that's really been my experience here with the company is that everyone is so keen to work and to make things happen even under slightly difficult circumstances. But I can tell you this for uh, absolutely certain. I'm ever so pleased to be here in Kenosha and face to face once again uh, with people in a room because it makes it so much easier to be able to rehearse in person. Very good. Uh, I'd love to give the singers, any who want to comment, a chance to talk about what it was like to be directed via Zoom. If you've ever had to experience that before uh, and, 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 and what it was like. This is actually my second Zoom experience. Um, and I have to say, it really helps when the director is so clear and concise. And Greg said, you know, he, we had an AD, Danny Brylow, who was there and he was helping us. Mm -hmm. And that made it actually a lot easier because of course, Greg can tell us what's happening and an idea and build those shapes, which he does so beautifully and kind of give us, you know, our impetus for why we're moving. But then we have Danny there to really be the actual like physicalization of please move here. And um, it was also really lovely too, because of course we have Xenia there and she's always so wonderfully involved in the process and it just makes it very easy. And, you know, Nick is great on his feet. Alex is amazing. Kat Dalen, who plays our Marquise is incredibly funny. So, um, and I have to say our uh, community volunteer chorus has just been a, a real dream. Mm -hmm. They've been very thoughtful and they've given a lot of their time to this whole thing. And, um, so Zoom was not as bad as it could have been. <laughs> we made it happen. And especially now that he's here, it's like, you know, mm -hmm. perfect. Uh, for you, uh, Ksenia Lelionotkina, the music director, the conductor of these performances, what has this preparation period been like for you? You've had a couple of, of uh, daunting challenges uh, on your plate. Um, uh, well, first of all, good morning. Um, I would like to apologize ahead of time for my voice. I actually did lose it <laughs> in the last couple of days. Um, it's been really fun. Um, no, no production ever goes as smoothly as we hope it uh, to go. So, um, uh, we take it day by day and uh, staying always positive and um, looking forward and uh, watching the progress uh, being made. And um, But of course, striving towards um, the best outcome that we can possibly create. So it's been really, really fun. Um, I personally, I'm a, I'm a pianist and I'm a pianist coach and uh, I feel 
um, very comfortable being at the piano is and then prefer actually to play for rehearsals myself. Um, I really enjoy it, as Skilly said that. Um, I like to uh, be sort of a help to the stage director and you know, trying to bring their vision to life through uh, musical timing and colors that uh, the orchestra and singers can, um, that I can help them sort of bring out a little better. So I've been enjoying it very much. <laughs> Wonderful. For those of you just joining us, we're talking today on The Morning Show with five participants in the Kenosha Opera Festival's production of Gaetano Donizetti's comic opera, La Fille du Regiment, The Daughter of the Regiment. Uh, this is a, an opera well known to opera fans as an absolutely delightful comedy from the period known as the Bel Canto, uh, a, a famous showpiece for the great soprano Joan Sutherland, as well as Beverly Sills. And this is also the opera that made Luciano Pavarotti a superstar with that famous tenor aria in act one in which the tenor has to uh, set off nine high seas. And uh, when you have a tenor who's ready to do that and a soprano ready to do the fireworks of Marie, as well as all the comic interplay, you have an absolute gem on your hands in terms of, a, of an opera for the, for the public. So uh, it's, a, it's something that a lot of people should seek out performances Friday night and Saturday night at the Rhodey Opera Center, or Center for the Arts in downtown uh, Kenosha. Greg Eldridge, you are at the helm as the stage director. And as we've already mentioned, you are originally from uh, Australia and you've done your study and your professional work in a lot of different places. Uh, could we start by hearing where you first became uh, interested in directing and was the road first with spoken theater or was it opera or musical comedy? I mean, uh, how did this road begin for you? Uh, yeah, um, happy to share. Uh, I think one of the big uh, parts of being a, an Australian is that we have a very big traveling culture uh, because we're very far away from most other places. Uh, we're a largely European uh, population and so in, there's almost a rite of passage for a lot of Australians of that heritage to want to return to Europe and sort of see where our families came from two or three hundred years uh, earlier. And so in common with a lot of Australians, uh, I undertook study and uh, training overseas. Um, so I left my native Australia um, almost 15 years ago to go and study in Italy. Uh, and I completed study in Florence before moving to London, uh, where I joined the Young Artist Program at Covent Garden uh, at the Royal Opera House there. And I was there for, for some years uh, before sort of embarking on a freelance career, which has taken me through Europe and now, uh, now to the United States. Um, and there is, I think, a really interesting difference in the way that different countries approach operatic repertoire. Every individual community sort of has something else that they want to bring uh, to the fore. And so there are lots of different communities uh, all around the place that have different things they want to bring out in, in the productions they they see, uh, whether it's sort of a big philosophical conversation or whether it's a, a, a bright, vibrant entertainment. And I'm excited to be here in the United States because there's such a push towards wanting to see operas that are exciting, that speak to an audience, that carry uh, pathos and comedy. And this is such a beautiful piece for us to be working on because it contains elements of each. Mm. Um, I've 
I, my training was initially in spoken word theater. Uh, I trained as an actor in Australia and I moved into uh, music theater because I enjoyed that. And then there was a bridge uh, from there through operetta into opera proper. And so I'd like to think that uh, what I bring to, to my role is uh, the sense of, in the realest sense of the word, an amateur perspective, because I love uh, the opera and I love music-based theatre and I really have a passion for it, even though I have no connection in my family history to either the theatre or to music in general. So I've come to my position as someone who just really cares about it and I really enjoy it. And uh, I hope that uh, the work that I do shows that because I'm, I'm, yeah, I really want to create work that people enjoy. And certainly uh, my rehearsal rooms, I try to create an atmosphere where we enjoy being there because there's nothing worse than a terrible day at the office, even if that office is a rehearsal studio with a piano. Uh, and so certainly I've had a wonderful time with all of my colleagues here. Wonderful. I noticed in your biography, your resume, that you have worked with young singers in, in young artist programs. Uh, in a number of different countries, I think, including your own native Australia, as well as the UK and Germany and Italy and here in the United States, of course. I'm just curious, what, how, how much does the experience differ uh, between all of those different settings uh, when you are working with different artists in, in all of these different environments? Uh, yes, I mean, I've been very lucky to have been able to travel to a number of places and work with, with a number of uh, singers from different nationalities. Uh, in fact, I mean, the reason I'm here is due to a young artist program. I met Nick in San Francisco uh, several years ago when we were uh, there working um, in the San Francisco Opera's Merrilla program. And I think there is a real difference between what individuals want to get out of young artist programs. Some people are in a, an excellent position technically and need more dramatic experience. Some people uh, are absolute stage animals and are more interested in focusing on rhythm or on language. And the one thing that everyone seems to have in common, regardless of where they're from or where in the world I've worked with them, is a real desire to tell stories. And that seems to be the driving thrust of this new generation of performers on the operatic stage. People aren't interested just in coming downstage center and raising their arms and receiving applause. No one seems to want to do that anymore, which as a director is a fabulous thing because it means we can focus on, uh, on more than just grandstanding. But the fact that universally my experience has been that young singers want to be involved in telling stories to an audience and making a difference through their art means that there's a real spark for the future of this art form, which is why I'm so excited to be a part of it now. Wonderful. This is stage director uh, Greg Eldridge. He is at the helm uh, for leading the, st the stage rehearsals for this production we're talking about of Donizetti's the Daughter of the Regiment performance is coming up this weekend at the Rhodey Center for the Arts in downtown Kenosha. Ksenia Leliotkina, you are the conductor of these performances. Uh, tell our listeners, first of all, uh, where you are from originally and uh, when you first began to encounter and fall in love with music. I mean, not sorry, not music, but specifically opera. Or, uh, I mean, was it music first and opera eventually? Or, I mean, where does opera fit into your personal story? 
Um, well, I'm uh, born and raised in Russia, and uh, I was fortunate uh, to be born uh, into a family of a pianist. Uh, my mother is a fantastic uh, pianist, um, graduate of St. Petersburg Conservatory and um, a professor. So I, I was exposed to music, obviously, before I was even born, sort of in her womb, as she always says. Um, I, um, I have a very unusual road towards opera, actually. Um, as a young child, like at, at age five, my mom took uh, me to see Rigoletto. Um, in, uh, in <laughs> that was my first, uh, well, first life opera. Um, and in Russia back then, or Soviet Union at that point, um, everything was sung in Russian. So I could still, I can still sing, you know, uh, La Donna Immobile in Russian, believe it or not. Um, so famous uh, tenor. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I fell in love with it, and I thought I would uh, be an opera, but I really, that was kind of my, my dream, but, you know, you don't really choose an instrument when you're a, uh, when you're a musician, an instrument chooses you, and um, the nature of it, uh, being a pianist's daughter, I, um, you know, started touching the keyboard very young, and it uh, sort of took me from there, but I, I had this fascination with the human voice. I think it's just the most incredible instrument, um, really, besides the cello for me, actually, um, really, that is the closest to the human voice. So the, um, this fascination sort of um, captivated me through my entire uh, college years. And um, oh, I was trained as a classical, Play, player doing competitions and winning some losing a lot <laughs> but but having um was you know on the sort of brinks of, of having a career and um just at age 25 i decided to switch gears and um go and get in collaborative piano at the Eastman school of music and i chose that school specifically for the great uh, with department of the head because I wanted to uh, get more exposure uh, with singers. Um, and so that is exactly where the turning point for me was. I got there and the first, the first week of being there, I was um, enrolled um, into the opera um, accompanying or something, opera seminar class uh, with um, fabulous uh, conductor, opera conductor Benton Hess. And the rest is history. It sort of started from there and it never stopped. So, <laughs> And I assume then this is how you know Nick and Keeley from Eastman. Yes. Um, actually, I'm a little bit older. Uh, so um, Nick and Keeley were actually kind of my students. <laughs> Not kind of, but I was actually, um, after I graduated Eastman School of Music, offered me a um, position um, on faculty and I was uh, teaching there for three years until I just decided to go and explore other things. So uh, Keeley was my true inspiration um, when, when I was working there because uh, she, she and I did two um, very big shows together and um, I just love working with Keely and Nicholas and I sadly did not get to work on the production but I was coaching he was my last year of working there in, uh, in Nick's first master's um, year so I worked with him a little bit 
but not as much as Kili. So yes, I know them from Isman. <laughs> well, a very nice reunion then. Uh, so this is Ksenia Levyotkina who is conducting the two performances of Daughter of the Regiment this weekend. Alex Suare, you are uh, in the cast of Daughter of the Regiment in the role of Sulpice, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, give our listeners uh, some idea of your own musical background, where you're from originally, and uh, when music and then specifically opera entered the picture for you. Uh, yes, of course. Hello, everybody. Um, so I'm originally from Romania. Um, I was born there, but um, I came to the States when I was four years old. Um, so I grew up here. Um, I grew up around classical music and opera for most of my life because my mom was an opera singer when she was younger. Um, and <clears throat> but not in the U.S., only in Romania. Um, and I went to school when I went to college, I went to college for business economics, but more specifically, but that's kind of where I found my voice. I started, um, kind of just singing and, um, kind of performing with a few local bands, but not classical music. And then I started taking voice lessons at the university and, um, just kind of fell in love with opera. Um, the voice teacher I was taking lessons there, um, he kind of recommended that I look into opera and, um, and just fell into it and, um, kind of been doing that ever since. Very good. Um, when I was looking at your, your, uh, your website and your uh, biography and engagements, it was really poignant to read, uh, on the, on the front page, 2020 engagements were to have included and so on. And then this long list yeah. of engagements that of course evaporated uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you just uh, <clears throat> try to put into words what it's like to be uh, a singer on the rise, having so many doors suddenly shut or so many fires suddenly extinguished because of this uh, extraordinary pandemic? And what, what has this hiatus uh, been like for you? That's a very good question. Um, I tend to look at things uh, with a glass half full. Um, so it was, it was very shocking, of course, as every, every other singer. And um, we, we didn't know when we were going to go back to work and go back to normal. And that took a few months to really realize and set in. Um, so it you know, I was very sad for, for a few months, but then you kind of just have to move on. And I refocused on, on my technique. I started taking voice lessons more often. And as a singer that's been on the road, probably, I don't know now for before 2020 for about seven years, uh, you know, sometimes I would see my voice teacher two or three times a year. Um, so now it just gave me a chance to kind of refocus, refocus my repertoire, see what I want to do, plan for the future. It gave me a chance to take a breath um, and see if this is um, something I really love to do. What kind of repertoire do I really want to learn? Uh, how do I want to look at learning music and learning um, and and doing uh, just the dramatic aspect of, of, of the opera and the importance of it? So kind of like when, when it's missing from your life, you really realize uh, how important it is not only to you and to other people and to society as a whole. So it's kind of, you know, it took a lot of time to just kind of 
understand where you fit into this puzzle and kind of how to move on and then work on yourself. That's basically what I did this past year. For those of you just joining us uh, on today's morning show, we are talking about a production by the Kenosha Opera Festival this weekend, two performances of uh, Donizetti's comic opera, La Fille du Regiment, The Daughter of the Regiment. We have three members of the cast, the daughter in the title role, Keely Futterer, uh, tenor Nick Huff, and uh, uh, bass baritone Alex Soiree. And uh, also with us is the stage director for the production, uh, Greg Eldridge, and the conductor of these performances, Ksenia Lelyotkina. Greg Eldridge, uh, it's probably time for us to try to spell out a little more about the story of the daughter of the regiment. Um, ahead of you summarizing the plot, is this an opera that you have directed before or is this your initial attempt? Uh, yeah, well, this is one of the reasons I was really keen to uh, come to the festival. One of the reasons when I saw that uh, uh, Nick was going to start up a, a festival with with his colleagues and with Keeley in Kenosha, uh, I wrote to him almost straight away and said, if you need anything, let me know, because I I really firmly believe not just in the importance of grassroots festivals like this, uh, but also in the work that uh, Nick and Keeley do. Uh, they're tremendous individuals, and if anyone's going to start a, a festival to um, encourage the proliferation of this wonderful art form, that, then it's those two. Um, so I was uh, super keen to be involved, uh, and especially when I found out that we'd be doing uh, Fuit de Regiment. Uh, I've not worked on it, and it's a piece that I've really wanted to learn uh, for a while. Uh, certainly I've seen productions of it um, in... Uh, some of the theatres in which I've worked, although I've never worked on it myself. Uh, so I, it was a tremendous thrill to sort of crack open that score and start work on, on looking into it because it's such a beautiful piece. Um, I knew it. I knew it from the famous arias uh, because they're sort of recorded. Everyone records them at some point, uh, but I wasn't prepared for just how lovely the whole score as an entirety is. Uh, it's got very memorable tunes. It's got lovely bits for the chorus, lovely duets, and some fab fabulous trios, uh, which. Uh, of course, sort of are the mainstay of bel canto repertoire, as we were discussing earlier. Um, and there's just so much freedom for the vocalists. And that's really important, I think. And something that Xenia has been amazing at in her capacity conducting is giving the singers freedom to be able to show themselves off in their best light. And we're so lucky to have, especially in these three principles who we're talking with this morning, singers of extraordinary skill who are able to perform miraculous vocal fireworks but make it all make sense within the context of the narrative uh you don't get that often and and i think uh if people are genuinely interested in seeing that marriage of vocal skill and how to make it work in a dramatic context then this is the show to to come and see um in terms of the the plot itself it's actually quite a simple plot uh which is unusual for bel canto repertoire often they're sort of you know you need to know 18 different historical facts before the curtain rises. And here we don't have to do that. And thank goodness, uh, because it's a lot, a lot of research to do otherwise. Uh, the, the piece is very, very loosely set in the Tyrolean War. Uh, essentially, we have um, the French soldiers who are uh, traveling around the place, sometimes winning and sometimes losing battles. Uh, and this particular regiment, the 21st, uh, has adopted uh, Marie as their figurehead, as their 
commander in chief of entertainment and uh, light relief. Uh, and so Marie travels around uh, with her adopted family, uh, all of whom she refers to as her fathers, this sort of joint fatherhood. Um, she uh, has a slight misadventure one day and runs into Tonio, uh, who is uh, a member of the peasant class uh, who's nearby. And of course, because she's a soprano and he's a tenor, they instantly fall in love uh, and all things must stop so they can get together. And what uh, uh, transpires over the course of the, the two hours of, of the piece is a little bit of mistaken identity, a little bit of a reveal of parentage. Uh, and of course, because it's a sparkling comedy, uh, all things end up well, all obstacles are overcome and love conquers all, uh, which is of course, as it should be. A nice summary. I like that very much. Uh, Ksenia Lelyotkina, uh, um, Greg Eldridge just talked about how this this opera is really wonderful, even apart from the famous soprano and tenor showpieces that are very well known to, to opera fans. Even beyond that, uh, he finds it a praiseworthy score. I assume you do too. Uh, what makes this score uh, extra special? Well, I, I think what makes this particular uh, score of Donizetti extra special uh, is the fact that comedy is written in the music. Um, it, it is truly um, a perfect musical comedy. This is exactly how I, I would describe, uh, describe it. Um, what we refer right now is, of course, romantic comedy. That's what it is. And um, Donizetti uses um, uh, the vocal sort of um, virtuosity of the um, artists, of the singers of the time in the 19th century, uh, to the advantage um, of the plot, to propel the plot forward. And so it's, it's full of very charming moments. Uh, but it's also uh, very well tied together. So it's not just uh, loosely sort of put together musical numbers. Um, so the score is just beautiful. It just jumps off the, off the page and um, keeps on bubbling away and it's full of very tender moments as well. Very beautiful. Nick, you are going to be dispatching this famous uh, Act One aria, Amazami in which the tenor has to fire off nine high C's. Um, I remember from uh, my days as your voice teacher some years ago that uh, you didn't have a, a single high C in your throat at, at back in those days. And, and now it seems like uh, you approach the top with just astounding ease and this showpiece does not seem to hold much terror for you. Um, what can you tell us about the first time you approached this aria and what did it feel like to be able to conquer its difficulties? Sure, sure. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all kind of funny because this aria is, as you mentioned, this is the role that made uh, Luciano Pavarotti really, really famous and sort of broke him out and he would sing this aria. And basically every tenor who sings anything like this repertoire has at least tried to sing this aria uh, since then. And so you can imagine all the, all the young tenors in conservatory are all in their practice room screeching away, trying to figure out how to, how to eke out nine high C's. And I was one of them, uh, you know, and as you say, uh, you don't just 
you're not just born with a high C. You have to work to find that. Uh, actually, I, I started approaching this aria to learn the high C, how to do the extension. Uh, I got all the way through my schooling, starting with you, of course, and then often uh, at Eastman with uh, Robert Swenson. And, uh, you know, we learned the fundamentals. I brought all the things you taught me and then added the things that Swenson had taught me and just was functional, but I still hadn't quite figured out the top. And it's actually not very unusual for a young tenor to take that amount of time, get all the way through grad school before they sort of figure it out. So the year after I got out of Eastman uh, with my master's degree, I just spent that entire year working on it. And I just, every day, sang away, worked, changed. Keely uh, was there with me uh, and uh, she would come down the stairs sometimes and go, mm, it's a little strained today. Or, ooh, maybe have you tried this? And uh, she's a wonderful teacher herself. And so uh, she had a few good insights for me. And uh, between her and I would sometimes go back for lessons. Uh, we were still in Rochester at the time. Um, I just started piecing it together. And it just takes that kind of, a, that kind of an effort and that kind of a work. And uh, once you know it, once you really know what you're doing, then it's not so hard anymore. Uh, because, you know, each high C comes from an octave. So uh, for the amateur listener who may not know what that means, you start a little bit low and then you just have to sing the high note in isolation. So there are, uh, they're actually not too unforgiving if you, if you know, but you, you really have to know before you can do it. So uh, it was a very tall mountain to climb and I was very tired for some time there. Uh, but now I'm standing at the, at the top of it and I don't think I'll ever come down until I get old and I, <laughs> somebody makes me and <laughs> my voice won't do it anymore. <laughs> right. Well, and I so appreciate Nick how it's, I think it's a great example of how you really have to technically be so solid in order to then have the fun that is behind this aria. I mean, it, it's a, it's an aria about joy and you can't possibly sing it if you have all the notes, but have to sort of muscle them in place kind of grimly and with white knuckles of, of anxiety. <laughs> and uh, it's just wonderful to see you able to sing it in a way in which you toss it off with seeming ease. And that's that's the, the mark of someone who's really meant to, to do this. Um, Keely Futerer, you are our title character, the daughter of the regiment, Marie, and you have already sung this role before. I suppose you're a young enough singer that you have not had that experience all that often in your career of singing a, a given role a second or a third or a fourth time, although correct me if I'm wrong, but I suspect you know it, it's going to take a little while before you've done, before you are repeating a lot of roles. Uh, what's it been like to return to this wonderful role of Marie? Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um... The, I've, I've gotten to repeat roles a couple times. Contessa in Le Nozze I've gotten to do a couple times and uh, Suor Angelica I've been able to do a couple times. But um, this is definitely the most fun role that I've gotten to repeat and it has the most freedom. So certain things I've found, I like Alex took this kind of pandemic to reboot technique things and actually take time to figure out what I was doing because I'm a young singer, but I'm not that young of a singer. And so certain things have changed as I've gotten a few more white hairs. So um, it's been really fun to revisit it and change certain cadenzas, change certain ornamentations. I feel like I have more freedom now because I have done it. And so I take more risks 
I would say vocally that sometimes work out and sometimes don't, but at least I'm taking those risks. Um, and it's really fun to get to do it with people that I love so much. I mean, that's really actually been the most, of course, I loved everybody at Saratoga, but it's very different when you're singing to your actual fiance on stage and you see one of your best friends conducting you and your family's in the orchestra and what dear friend Greg is here and sweet Alex coming back and reprising this. And it's yeah. just, it's very cool. And some of our fellows who I've kind of come to call my babies, you know, they're all in the show and they're doing smaller roles. And so um, this one has an intimacy and a level of love to it that is many, many layers. And I just think that that is, I get very emotional, but um, <clears throat> that's made this experience incredibly special to get to repeat it. That's great. Alex, uh, what would you like to add about the delights of this opera and the fun that you're having with the role of Sulpice? Well, I just feel like it's uh, such a perfect show uh, for a festival in the summer. Um, and even for um, uh, first time opera goers, I think it's a great opera for, you know, people to kind of get their feet wet and get used to opera. It's, it's really funny. Um, there's, uh, you know, a great love story, a love story, um, like, like, um, what we said before, it's like a romantic comedy. So it's, it's just a, it would just be a great evening at the opera, you know, for, for anybody, you know, that's been to an opera before or is new to an opera and kind of just getting used to it. Yeah. Nicely put. Jesenia Aleljotkina, uh, do you have a favorite moment from this score that you hope people will listen for and, and and appreciate the, the way you do? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about appreciation of the way I do it, but I do have my favorite moment, uh, my favorite piece of the entire work is the opening trio of the second act. It's a musical lesson. And it is, I, I promise you, it's probably one of the funniest moment of any comedy ever. It's just so brilliantly written and it's so brilliantly acted and so brilliantly staged that I just, I just love it so much. It's <laughs> wonderful. Right. <laughs> and very, um, it was actually a, a sort of a uncharacteristically appreciated that piece very much because of course Donizetti was uh, Italian uh, writing this piece for uh, a pretty snobby Parisian <laughs> audience so um, this was a, a true sort of love for, for the French people. Very good. Uh, Greg Eldridge, um, we just have a couple of minutes but is there anything you want to say about the way you have staged this? Uh, things that you are, have done to try to create a particular concept? Uh, I mean we should say that right off the bat, you're not doing anything very weird with it. You're not setting it in the old West or on the moon or whatever. Uh, but what have you thought about in terms of making this as effective as possible? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I don't think the budget allowed us to, to set it on the moon. Um, so alas, I mean, if, if that's what your audience is after, they'll have to wait for the next Klaus Gut production uh, or, or travel to, to Strasbourg. Um, I, I think it's really important to, to sort of say at the outset that um, although you're very kind in attributing uh, a lot of the responsibility uh, for the work at my door, uh, really it's a collaborative effort. And my the way that I most like to work is to uh, come into a room and talk with the singers and see what they want to showcase and then do my best to help support what it is that they want to show. Um, and I found that that's a really 
successful way to work when you have colleagues who are clever and witty and quick. And it's it's been a, a delight to have people here to work with, to be able to say, I don't know, what if we do this and just see what happens? Um, it's, uh, it's probably worth mentioning um, that uh, it's technically a semi-staged performance, um, which kind of falls in between being a concert and being uh, a full production uh, with, um, you know, all the bells and whistles. Um, we started with this concept originally of seeing, you know, if we just stand and sing, you, you know, maybe we can add a couple of uh, movements as, as we go uh, and let's see what happens. And because everyone is a, so skillful, and B, so up for the challenge of wanting to tell the story as best they can. Uh, we've moved more and more towards including uh, moments of interaction and in uh, having sort of full numbers. And so we're now sort of really firmly in that semi-staged um, place where we are not just standing and delivering songs, but uh, really creating a little world as well. Um, I, I think the piece really stands on its own two feet and uh so i i was certainly keen not to interfere too much with uh with the genius of the music uh, and with the artistry of the performance nicely put uh, i second everything you just said uh and i think you've made wonderful choices to make this work so wonderfully well on the stage of the roadie center for the arts uh so nick huff explain to our listeners anyone who is wanting to attend uh, either of these performances this weekend of the daughter of the regiment, what do people do? Sure. So you just go to kenoshaoperafestival.com slash tickets, and there you will find a form which you can fill out and buy your tickets. Um, we have left it deliberately open. Uh, you know, things are uh, always uncertain in the time of COVID, so it is self-seated. Um, season ticket holders, there's preferential seating in front, but everyone else, we're just asking, uh, the seating plan is open. Uh, try to find some space, mask if you are unvaccinated, uh, mask if that makes you more comfortable, that's perfectly fine. Um, and get your tickets and uh, come find your place in the audience. It's very uh, open and we're trying to make it as uh, comfortable and safe as possible for everybody. The ticket form on the website, which is kenoshaoperafestival.com slash tickets, it's really easy and you'll just find a drop down menu and a place to put your credit card and uh, we can scan a code on your phone when you walk through the door. It is very simple and easy. We we hope uh, and so far that's been our experience and we hope you'll find it simple and easy when you go get your tickets. And it's Friday night and Saturday night. And when is the performance time? Yeah, is, thank you for reminding me. It is Friday and Saturday night at 7 p.m. both evenings. And this is at the Roadie Center for the Arts in downtown Kenosha. And heading up the cast, Keely Futerer. Nick Huff and Alex Suare, and uh, on the podium conducting the singers and the orchestra, uh, Ksenia uh, Lelyotkina, and the stage director for this production, Greg Eldridge. My thanks to all five of you, and congratulations on uh, what is already shaping up to be an absolutely delightful production of The Daughter of the Regiment. We hope a lot of people will be able to come and enjoy your exploits, and thank you for being part of the morning show today. Best wishes to all of you. Thank, Thank you, you, Craig. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Thank, Thank you for you. having us. Thanks. Thank you.